Welcome back to episode number 12 of the Meet Kevin Report, and in this video, we're going to not only cover that jobs report, but we're going to start with some other eco data and cover a lot of information. So let's get started. First, Ryan Cohen. He is the activist investor that jumped into Bed Bath & Beyond and then bailed as soon as supply chain issues were mounting, which it seems like he almost got some kind of insight into these supply chain issues first because he became a member of the board. And then when those issues started mounting, he ended up bailing. <laughs> well, apparently now Ryan Cohen has jumped into Nordstrom. He has taken a large stake in the department store, wants to replace the director of the board, and uh, the stock's up already 31% year to date. But uh, I, I, it's going to be really interesting to see if people are still going to follow his moves, given that uh, last time they, he kind of uh, bailed on everyone, rightfully so, of course, but still a lot of folks got a little frustrated about him being in and then being out. Uh, but that's okay, you know, people have the right to change their minds and flip-flop. Uh, I think the problem is with when uh, activist investors do that, you don't get that instant news about it. You don't hear about it within hours or within a day. You hear about it three months later when they actually file their uh, hedge fund holding filings with the SEC. It's like, oh, okay, well, a lot can happen in three months. Anyway, year-to-date, Nordstrom's actually up 34%, but pre-market, this thing's up 26% uh, after this potential for Orion, um, well, actually, Ryan taking a stake, not a potential, Ryan actually taking a stake. Toronto's housing market has slowed to its slowest pace since the first month of the pandemic. 3,100 homes sold in the largest city, Toronto, lowest since April of 2020. There's definitely a lack of homes available for sale, but there are also a lot fewer buyers than there used to be, and that is true in the United States as well. So we'll see how that moves this year. We're starting to hear about liquidations potentially getting started in the real estate investment trust sector. This is the institutional ownership of real estate, and if liquidations are being forced there, whether it's in office, industrial, commercial, or residential properties, we expect to see inventory actually increase this year. Now, that inventory increase this year could be offset by falling interest rates, but if interest rates don't fall fast enough, increasing uh, increasing inventory at the same time as year-over-year -year numbers come in negative could create enough fear for the real estate market to take another leg down. We'll see 10-year treasury stable at about 3.4 right now. That is down from about 3.5 from before Jerome Powell's meeting. Uh, press conference. The uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is considering capping late fees for credit cards. They currently sit at a $30 limit plus potentially up to $41 in additional violation penalties uh, and limits that say late fees cannot be more than 25% of the actual required payment. Uh, a total of $12 billion in late fees were assessed in 2020. If this new rule passes, it would wipe away 75% of those fees, you would have only seen $9 billion in late fees. And that was in 2020, when a lot fewer late fees were actually being doled out because of the pandemic. But uh, yeah, a cap of $8 for late fees for credit cards is uh, substantially smaller than, uh, than uh, what we've seen historically. But keep in mind, best case scenario, you're never late on anything related to your credit score. Your credit score is super, super important, especially if you want to get into owning real estate. Really big fan of you getting into real estate. In fact, 
Uh, I saw a, uh, a, a, there was a, I think, a, what's his name, Caleb, Caleb H. something, uh, Hammer, Hammer, whatever. Anyway, someone on YouTube uh, made this video and he was sort of responding to an email. Hey, should I keep paying the minimum payment on my car and keep paying down my federal student loans? Or stop student loan payments and triple my car payment uh, to pay off the car before the interest starts back up again on the student loan. The car payment uh, is $540 and has got $18,000 left. And the student loan is $1,100 and has $79,000 left on it. Oh my gosh. So the, the, I think the first thing that I want to say, I'm going to put this up on screen here so you can see it. First thing I want to say is it is remarkable how people get themselves into these sorts of payments. How, 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 how do you have a $540 car payment and $18,000 left? It's a lot of money. And now I understand interest rates have gone up substantially. But one of the worst things, in my opinion, for people building their wealth is people trapping themselves in monthly payments. The reason I say that is very simple. I come from a real estate background. You should always be thinking to yourself, every single dollar that you spend of monthly debt takes away $2.34 of income for the purpose of buying a home. So think about it. In order for you to make a $540 car payment, you actually need to earn an additional $1,263 per month. On an annual basis, that means you have to make an extra 15 grand just to be back to qualifying for the same amount you could have qualified for before. If you add up $540 plus the $1,100 here for the, uh, for the student loan, this individual, just to have the same purchasing power for real estate as they would have had they had not had these loans, would have to make an additional $46,000. Let me put that another way. Let's say this, somebody goes to school, they get a job, and they make 100 grand. And somebody else goes to school, they get a job, they make 100 grand, okay? The person who went to the community college and got grants and doesn't have student debt and, and got a cheap car for, you know, five to 10,000 bucks used that they could pay off or have a very low payment on, that person at a hundred grand could qualify for with a hundred thousand dollars worth of purchasing power, right? Which is pretty good because a hundred thousand dollars of purchasing power uh, is going to get us at uh, maybe a front end ratio of about 35% would let us have a monthly payment of close to $3,000 for a home. Okay, well, $3,000 a month for a home that you want to buy, not necessarily terrible, right? The person who has $1,100 in student loans and a $540 car payment would actually only qualify for uh, based on about $64,000 of income. So they would only qualify for about an $1,850 payment. $1,850 out of $3,000 is about 40% less home. That is insane. That's absolutely insane. So consider that for a moment. If you were going to buy a $40,000 home because you had no debts and you could qualify for a, uh, a sorry, $400,000 home, if you could buy a $400,000 home, you had no debts. If you had an $1,100 student loan and a $540 car payment, you'd be able to qualify for about 40% less or only about $240,000. That's, that's like the difference between buying a home 
and not buying a home, right? It is such an insane difference. So when I see numbers like this and people are just getting started with their finance, I just wanna shake every human being who has not gotten into these sort of loans yet and tell them, do not take on debt like this. It is so stupid because you are taking a gun and you are shooting yourself in both feet to be able to buy real estate. You basically make it impossible to become a millionaire. I think the easiest way for anyone to become a millionaire is buying real estate. And if you don't buy your own home because you can't qualify, then you're stuck. Instead of making payments on things that are actually increasing your net worth, you're making payments on stuff that really aren't helping you. Because with the student loans, you could have gotten probably the same degree for a lot less. With the car payment, you don't need that stupid dumb car. Cars are stupid. I really, really, really dislike people spending money on cars. Now, that rant out of the way, what do you do in this situation? Apparently the student loan has interest rates of about 7%, but the interest isn't due yet. The car's got payments of, uh, or, or an interest rate of just 2.9%. Not great, but also a problem. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it is great. I should say the interest rate is great. Don't get me wrong, but the $540 is not great. It's a, it's a lot of money, uh, but the 2.9% is, is nice. That sort of mitigates some of that payment. So should I keep making the minimum payment of my car and pay down, keep paying down my student loans or, well, this, uh, or stop the student loan payments uh, and, and triple off my car payment before the interest starts back up on my student loans. So in, in my opinion, once you get into this stupid hole uh, where now you're making choices between what debts to pay off and not, the very first thing you should try to do is make more money. Now, I know that sounds easy uh, to say because, well, it is pretty easy to say, but increase that top line and get something paid off ASAP. Personally, I would actually probably go for, uh, if you can go for forbearance on those student loans, uh, or at least the interest payments are still on pause, I'd be paying off that car payment as soon as possible. I know people are like, Kevin, it's 2.9%. You could make more money in that investing. Yeah, listen, if you're struggling between an $18,000 payment on a car and, and your student loans, <laughs> you don't got lots of money anyway to invest. So don't talk to me about investing in the stock market. You're not even close to considering the stock market. VTI should be like 10 years down the road for you. Like go pay off this stupid debt first, then buy real estate, buy real estate. Pay this crap off as soon as possible. Pay one of them off, take that extra money, throw it down on the other. Take as much money as you can and pay these suckers off as fast as possible, both of them and then get into buying real estate. But if I could just send a, a warning, like a bat signal to the world, please don't take out th these stupid loans. I, I believe that people watch my channel because they want to build wealth, because eventually they want to become a millionaire, or maybe you're already a millionaire, in which case I'm, I'm honored uh, you're watching. Whether you're not a millionaire, you are a millionaire. I'm honored you're here watching. But geez, why? Why are, are people in the mindset that in America, when, when you turn 18, you have to sink yourself up to your eyeballs in student loan debt, or you have to sink yourself into car debt. It, it, it blows my mind. When I was 18 and I applied, I did, I applied for a student loan to see if I could get one. I look at the terms and I actually qualified myself because I had already built my credit score up because I got a car loan out and I paid off my car loan because guess what? Wanted to buy real estate and I made sure to buy a car that I knew I could pay off. I took advantage of some of the introductory financing and then I paid that sucker off within a year. Then I bought real estate with money that I made, but I didn't take out the student loans because even though I could qualify a loan, because 
at that time, I'm like, am I gonna pay 7% on student loans? Hell no, I'll go buy real estate and I don't want it to affect my ability to qualify. That's what I did when I was 18 and I supported myself. Worked at Jamba Juice, then Red Robin, then became a real estate agent. Fortunately, being a real estate agent pays a lot more money than working at Jamba Juice. <laughs> and I started right at 18. My, it, it, look, life is a lot easier if you can increase the top line of your income. So if your income's under 50K a year right now, you gotta be thinking to yourself, how can I get a skill to add more and create more value so I could actually increase my top line? That makes it a lot easier to pay off this. But but don't get into that kind of stuff. It's it's like, ah! It's so, it, it, it just drives me nuts. Uh, uh, so it doesn't make sense to me for people to get into this sort of debt. Uh, and it also doesn't make so much sense for people to discourage themselves from buying real estate. Everyone watching this should be buying real estate. I hear the excuses all the time. People are like, but Kevin, housing's expensive now. Then buy something smaller. Then, then buy a two-in-one or, or, or a one-bedroom condo or a studio. Go smaller. You don't need to buy your dream home. You're buying your first rental property. But you're going to live there first for a year so you can bank hack it and put 35 to 5% down and potentially even get down payment assistance uh, granted to you from your local community development councils because that's what they do. They hand money out to get people into home ownership. So it, it just, I, I, I don't know. I, it, it, like the traditional financial advice out there, I like somebody, I don't know, maybe it was the same person. Somebody's like, oh, your car payment should not be more than 8% of your gross take-home pay. And I'm like, who made this stupid ass rule? That is dumb. Because listen, if you are making $30,000 and let's say that is, that's your gross take-home pay, okay? That means you're taking home 2,500 bucks. You should not be looking at, uh, what is that? 8%? A $200 a month car pay. I know that sounds relatively low today because that we're basing that off $30,000. But 200 bucks a month if you're making, bringing home 30K, that's a lot of a monthly payment. You're never going to get into home ownership. Now, let's say you've, you're taking home a little bit more. Let's say you're taking home $9,000 a month. Why the hell do you need a $720 car payment when you should be focused on building your wealth? These percentages don't make sense. I think the correct car payment is until you make more than $100,000, your car payment should be zero. Pay it off. <laughs> like, you cheap used car and pay the sucker off. Then, once you start getting maybe to 100 to 200, okay, maybe have a car payment, but have it in a side hustle. Make your car payment through like an S corporation, so that way it's not affecting your debt to income. You could personally guarantee it, but you don't want it to show up on your credit report, because now you can qualify for a home and still have the monthly payment. It doesn't affect you. Boom. Tax hacks. That's why people come, I think, to my channel, is to help you learn this kind of stuff, and Check out the programs on Building Your Wealth link down below because today a coupon code expires. It, it, it's actually our last coupon code, February 3rd. I forgot to mention that at the beginning of the video. Anyway, sorry, I got angry when I saw this because of like, the person put themselves in a stupid situation. Now they're trying to make stupid choices and they're getting advice that normalizes the idea that it's okay to have a car payment. Uh, I know a lot of people have car payments and I get it. I first when I was 18 had a car payment too, but I made it my job to pay that sucker off so I could buy as much real estate as possible with my income while focusing on increasing my income because that's how I became a millionaire and that is how I also became a multimillionaire and a bit way before social media uh, and that is how every normal person can do it as well, in my opinion. I really believe that. Uh, there's no, there's no get rich quick with real estate. I, it's, I like the old saying, don't focus on getting rich quick, get rich for sure. Uh, anyway, this is just my thesis on real estate. So I had, I had to get that out of the way because it just bothered me so much. Uh, anyway. Okay. So, uh, now we've got, uh, let's see here. Okay. Now we got to cover, 
Uh, ha, 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 ha. We've got, oh my gosh. There's so much stuff to cover today. It's absolutely insane. You're not going to believe what California is up to now. And it really pisses me off because I ran for governor in California. And I'll tell you, I'm pissed I didn't win because we got a weenie baby who has done nothing for homelessness, done nothing for mental health, done nothing for schools. And while he was bragging about a stimulus-induced surplus during the campaign, I'm screaming, dude, it ain't gonna last, you idiot in California. The surplus is not gonna last if you spend it like a drunken sailor. And what? It, no offense to drunken sailors, because comparing drunken sailors to Newsom is an insult to drunken sailors. But anyway, Newsom is now running a deficit in California. And you know what Newsom thinks we should do for our constitutional rights, especially our Second Amendment, which he calls a suicide pact? Well, California just released the text of a CCW bill, a concealed carry bill. I'm actually a big fan of concealed carry. I actually ran on the concept of expanding your concealed carry and moving more towards more gun rights. And I understand uh, that California is basically like zero gun rights and in Texas it's and, or Arizona, it's like all gun rights, right? You're not gonna get California to move all the way over, but bring them back to a little bit of normalcy because what you got in California is just kooky, not so insane because people who are not criminals can't have a gun, but every criminal can walk into Walgreens, steal whatever they want and they don't even go to jail. Because California is freaking broken. It's disgusting. But not only that, okay, California just introduced a bill. And you're going to vomit when you see this. But let me, let me just give you a little context here, okay? There has been one person who had a concealed carry license who murdered someone else. And guess where they are now? Prison. Because they're a scumbag and they killed someone else when they shouldn't have. There have been thousands, dare I say, hundreds of thousands of felons who still walk the streets who kill people all the freaking time. But they're not licensed because it's easier not to be licensed. It's ridiculous. Uh, but anyway, California just introduced this bill. It's called SB2. I kid you not, uh, it was just introduced. And when I first saw the bill, I thought, oh my gosh, California is actually expanding the right to concealed carry? Oh my goodness, this sounds incredible. In fact, look at this. The bill would require the licensing authority to issue applications and the bill would remove certain requirements like good cause requirements from the issuance. Usually in California, if you want a concealed carry firearm, you have to show good cause and, and you know, you have to have like a clean criminal record. They're removing that. They're like, look, we, we want more people to be able to have concealed carry licenses. So I started reading this bill. And I'm like, holy smokes, is California turning around? Boy, was I disappointed. And I think you're going to be pretty disappointed as well in just a moment. So anyway, they start by loosening the requirements for who can carry a firearm. So you gotta be 21. You gotta be 21 to buy a firearm in California. It's also worth noting that California has magazine restrictions. You can only have a 10 round magazine. So if you get like a Glock 17, you ain't getting those 17 rounds, you're getting 10. Now, of course, if you happen to find uh, a, a you know 17 round magazine in Arizona or something, and you happen to uh, you know bring it back, then, then potentially you could loophole into having 
having a higher cap mag, but California has restrictions on that. They also have restrictions on the type of firearm you could have. Uh, for example, you can't have, but maybe, oh gosh, I want to say the California roster is like 40 guns long, and outside of that, you, you just can't even have them. Uh, but okay, okay, whatever. So, so initially, again, just going back to, to the concept, SB2, okay, California expanding people's rights to have firearms, okay, legal gun ownership, I'm a fan of that, especially, you know, if people are, uh, you know, are trained, uh, or, or, or can, can certify that they've been trained. Now, I ran on this on the campaign, I want to be very clear about this, I don't think that people who can't afford training uh, should not receive help. I, I do think the government should help people pay for, for training. Right? I think that's fair. It's like, hey, look, you know, you get your concealed carry and then maybe, you know, once a year or whatever, you do a quick little uh, checkup at the local gun store. And if you don't have enough money, the guns, you know, the state subsidizes you. That's fine. That's okay. Right. Just expand ownership for everyone. But anyway, this is the part where, where I just start vomiting. And, and when I say vomit, I start vomiting. Okay. You ready for this? You ready for, for this? This it, what I'm about to read you is a list of where you are not allowed to carry a firearm. So hold, hold on for a moment. I want you to think for a moment. Where do mass shootings happen? Well, they've occurred at churches, schools, grocery stores, public events, uh, you know, concerts on buses, you, you know, like, like outside your home, right? I mean, like, yeah, shootings have happened, obviously, at homes, but, like, you can have a gun at your home. Uh, but, but so, think to your, mo for a moment, where would a mass shooting occur, okay? Or, like, any kind of dangerous situation occur, right? So, now, yeah, large crowds, exactly, right? In a mall, okay, yeah, 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 exactly. Thank you for those of you in the comments. Bingo, okay. Now, let me go ahead and show you exactly where California says, after you get your license, you are not allowed to carry a gun via this new bill that California has introduced. Okay, you ready for this? Let's see how reasonable California is. Ah, I'm dropping my stuff over here because this is going to be ridiculous. All right, you ready for this? Here we go. No local government buildings. Okay. No buses, trains, or other public transportation. Nowhere alcohol is sold. No public gathering or special event space conducted on a property open to the public that requires a permit, uh, whether it's on a street or sidewalk, no playground or private youth center, no park, unless there's hunting, but there's basically no hunting in California. So basically no park or athletic facility, no property basically owned by the state of California, no colleges, universities, or classrooms of any kinds, no casinos or gambling areas, no sporting events, no public libraries, no airports, okay, I mean, that one's fair, no amusement parks, no zoos or museums, no churches, synagogues, mosques, or places of worship, uh, worship. no banks, financial institutions, no polling places, okay, wait for a moment. Right now, you already might be thinking, dude, Kevin, that's like everything, okay? That sounds like everything. So in other words, you you have a license to have a gun, but you can't take it anywhere, right? Okay? Listen to this. This is going to blow your mind, okay? Let me just read you this one, and then I will explain it, okay? We're ready for this? Or you are not allowed to carry a gun, even if you are licensed, in any privately owned commercial establishment that is open to the public 
unless the operator of the establishment clearly and conspicuously posts a sign at the entrance or on the premises indicating that license holders are permitted to carry. <laughs> so in other words, nowhere. So in other words, you can have your license to carry in California, but you shall not be allowed to carry it anywhere. I was thinking about it, I'm like, so, so I can, I can have it in my home and my car, but like, where else? Because I can't go into the grocery store. I can't go into any store. I can't go into anywhere that sells alcohol. And I mean, we all know that's basically the only reason I leave my house. I mean, I didn't say that. Um, you know, you can't, you can't take it where shootings would occur, like churches or parks or public events or colleges or classrooms or sporting events or casinos uh, or public transportation or, or, or playgrounds where you want to protect your children. You, you can't, you can't have it anywhere. That, folks, is California for you. That is why I ran for governor, to try to bring some common sense. I got almost a million votes. You know, I came in second place out of recall candidates. I think we did good, but holy crap, I am just pissed. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I, I cannot even believe how much of a, like, who writes this stuff and actually thinks it is remotely logical? But I think that was my first mistake, was assuming there was any logic in California. God, damn. <sighs> All right, I gotta, I gotta take a deep breath over here because I'm pissed. Holding down the fort uh, in Times Square. And aside from uh, getting the January jobs report this hour, we're gonna speak with Chevron CEO Mike Worth. Piper Sandler, Vice Chairman Jimmy Dunn, and Starbucks CFO Rachel Ruggieri. But uh, first, U.S. equity futures uh, at this hour dealing with some, uh, some I guess, mixed reports late yesterday in the, the tech sector. The Nasdaq was down about twice that when I first checked it this morning, about 255. So it's, it's paired its losses to some extent, but uh, the Dow and the S&P both giving uh, back some ground after what was a pretty solid month. Pretty good performance in January. Treasury yields, we got below 3.4 on the 10-year. 338 uh, right now, the two-year. Um, it's moved up a little in, in yield, but I thought that was possibly going to have a three-handle at one point, but uh, not quite yet. Still early. And we're watching three tech giants that uh, we mentioned that reported earnings last night. Al mm. Apple, Alphabet. Yeah, I'm actually going to go ahead and pull those up myself over here. So let's look over here. We've got Apple's only down 1.4% in the pre-market right now. Uh, remember, Apple was up 3.7% on the day. It did fall as much as 5% in after hours, but the, the sucker's already down to only 1.4%. Google was down as much as 5%. It's up at 3.5%. Tesla's actually positive in the pre-market. Ford's holding on to its losses at about 6 percent. Amazon's down a, a little over three percent. You've got Qualcomm down about two percent. Intel down about 0.8 percent. Holy crap. Bill.com 21 percent. Okay, so I, I want to be very clear. Personally, I think you want to potentially be very risk off when it comes to SaaS. Software as a service. I don't, I don't think that's the year of 2023. I think these are very likely to potentially like sort of meme up. But when they miss, they miss hard. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying my best to stay away from software as service. I am exposed to Autodesk, uh, but uh, they just they just announced a round of layoffs too. Uh, and I'm a little concerned that a slowdown in the uh, real estate sector is going to hurt. They're only down about half a percent right now. They were up about 2.7% on the day. <sighs> but folks, that leads me to another thing that just pisses me off, okay? And, and look, 
I really try my best to be in the middle, but I am pissed. I really, really do try my best. I try my best to be neutral. I try my best to provide rational information, information that makes sense and is logical and that both sides can, can uh, appreciate perspective on. But I don't know what is going on here, but now we are getting reports, and this has been widely reported uh, by uh, Bloomberg, the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, the mainstream media, okay? It is pretty much confirmed that there is a Chinese spy balloon that has been found flying over America, specifically by potentially uh, Montana and the area where America stores its Minutemen 3 intercontinental ballistic silos, okay? So ICBM silos are uh, areas where we have our national defense weapons and our national attack weapons. So if we need to go blow up an aircraft carrier, we could send an ICBM at 2,500 miles an hour and do some work. If we need to counter somebody else's ICBM, we can send a counter missile, like a Patriot missile, at like two to three times as fast, at like five to 6,000 miles an hour, okay? And we launch these suckers from either Patriot missile batteries or silos, specifically in the purpose of an ICBM, right? Those come out of silos. Uh, and that's where they're stored and maintained out of the weather. So when we need them, they work. And guess what, folks? Our administration, like, first of all, it's worth noting, when crap flies, and, and trust me, I am learning this very quickly. When stuff flies in America, you are under the jurisdiction of the FAA. And the FAA don't mess around. The FAA, they're like the cops of the sky, and they will find the crap out of you if you screw with the FAA. The FAA, serious people, right? So here's China flying shit in our skies, and what does our administration do? Nothing. Instead, they say, well, it poses no physical or intelligence risk. We just want to leave it alone because it's traveling above the level of commercial air traffic, so it's not a collision risk either. And we don't want to shoot it down because, you know, we, we don't want it to, like, fall on anyone. And I'm thinking to myself, it's a balloon. You could wait for the appropriate location to take the darn thing out and let its debris fall. <laughs> There's plenty of very empty areas around Montana. That's why we have silos over there. The real estate's cheap, okay? So, uh, apparently, Beijing responded to this and said, look, the U.S. is hyping this up. China has no intention of violating anyone's sovereignty. China's full of crap. They say that all the time. Oh, no, no, we don't have intentions of invading Taiwan. Don't mind all the missiles that we just launched to show our strength hitting economic waters between J uh, Japan and Taiwan and even incurring or in, in creating an incursion into the uh, economic zones around these countries, right? Areas where, in other words, missile tests should not be conducted. 
China says it's apparently tracking a similar style of of uh, a balloon of of some sort. Again, you can look at that here. It's it's uh, uh, you know seems to be some form of uh, you know if it's flying above commercial air traffic, it's got to be somewhere around fifty thousand feet up. So this is almost on the edge of space. I think you get to the edge of space somewhere around fifty-five to seventy thousand miles uh, up into the sky. Uh, commercial airliners tend to fly at about 35,000 feet. If you've got a private jet, you might be able to fly somewhere around 42 to 45,000 feet, which is kind of neat because you can fly above commercial air traffic. There's less traffic up there. It's kind of like having the HOV lane for jet travel. I don't know, little things you'll learn about over time. But anyway, apparently uh, the Biden administration is doing nothing. Uh, and, and so I immediately thought to myself, I'm like, what would Donald Trump do and uh, I don't even think we have to speculate much about what Donald Trump would do. And I, look, I even think Biden would do something, okay? I, I'm not trying to like get political and suggest that, hey, look, we've got a Chinese balloon taking pictures of, of where all our weapons are in America, threatening our uh, national sovereignty and defense capabilities. You know, I, I, I'm not suggesting that Obama would sit around and do nothing. I think Obama would do something as well. Uh, Donald Trump has made it very clear uh, on Truth Social, this balloon would be getting shot down ASAP. Uh, because after all, the argument is that our government and administration right now is basically saying the quiet part out loud is being talked about on Truth Social. The Chinese Communist Party can send spy balloons over our nuclear silos and we will do nothing. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but it pisses me off. And, and I'm, I'm an in the middle kind of person. So I can only imagine how enraged people must be on, on other ends. And I, I get it. It's like, well, Secretary of State Blinken's about to visit Beijing. Good. He can bring the pieces of the balloon to Beijing and start the conversation off by going, hey, <laughs> you guys left this in our airspace. Now, shall we have some soju and uh, talk about uh, trade and other things? I don't know. Soju's probably Japanese. Actually, soju's Japanese. I, whatever they serve in China. I, I, I don't know what they serve in China. The point is, uh, look, China is, is, is we know this. They're, they're, they're the second largest economy in the world, but they are still a developing country, right? Now, that doesn't give them any kind of excuse. Shouldn't absolutely give no one an excuse. But they're probably 20 years behind America militarily. They've got a, they do have about 2.8 million soldiers, which is about twice as many soldiers as America has. But the size can actually potentially hurt them from developing a modern force. Uh, and, and that's because we have a more efficient force that are equipped substantially better uh, than the Chinese troops. Think about this, for example. China spends roughly $12 billion a year on their military. So, and, and I'm saying this not to excuse the balloon. The balloon should be shot down. I want to make that crystal clear. But I just want to give you some confidence that if this pisses you off, as it should, uh, China's not close to us in, in terms of their military capabilities. China historically has been spending about $12 billion on their military. They actually want to increase their total defense spending to as high as $35 to $65 billion. Okay, that sounds like a lot of money. But we just spent nearly $100 million sending aid to Ukraine for military weapons and support. China spends about half of that in total defense spending. The United States spends about 10 times that on its own military. We spend close to a trillion dollars a year uh, with half the troop size on our military. So 
you know, you, you'd really have to ramp Chinese military spending probably by about 50 to 100% for the next 10 years for them to really have strong advantages. Now, China does have some strengths, okay? Don't get me wrong. They are an adversary. Probably the strongest strength that China has are their ballistic and cruise missiles. You can actually hit forward U.S. bases with Chinese cruise missiles in Japan, and they've got pretty dang good accuracy. You're talking about 5 to 10 meter accuracy. That's uh, that's about 15 to 30 feet accuracy. It's pretty good. So if you wanted to target a house, you could level a house with an, uh, you know, a ballistic missile uh, from, from uh, you know, hundreds of miles away or, or potentially thousands of miles away. Now, uh, China also has a little bit of an advantage when it comes to what's called counter space. The U.S. has got about five times as many satellites as China, but China is a little bit better when it comes to testing, at least that's what we believe, testing anti-satellite capabilities. This is kind of like pointing jammers or lasers at satellites, basically breaking them, uh, you know, sending certain frequencies to, to, to almost sort of like microwave uh, satellites. I, I, look, I, I'm no like scientist when it comes to that kind of stuff, but China does have some strengths, okay? So counter space, China's got some strengths. Uh, ICBMs in the localized area of uh, the South China Sea, China's got some pretty good strengths. And apparently now they have spy balloons that fly around unimpeded in America. But let's be very clear. The United States military is far stronger than China. The United States military, for example, with aircrafts, is on F-22s and F-35s. These are fifth-generation aircrafts substantially better fighter jets than the old crap, which are like the uh, fourth generation F-16s. Don't get me wrong. China's got about 50% of their fleet on fourth gen. The other 50, and, and that's that's decent, okay? That's decent. The other 50% is still like second gen garbage from the 90s. You, you remember watching, uh, maybe you saw Top Gun Maverick and they get into like the old fighter jet and they're like, oh gosh, I haven't flown one of these. in for It's kind of like that, except it's in real life. Now, China's got around 200 launchers for air defenses, so the U.S. would have to be pretty good with precision strike weapons to actually take these out in the event of a, a sort of a combat or, or war between China and America, uh, as the United States is potentially defending uh, Taiwan, for example. Uh, and so the U.S., their, their, their anti-aircraft uh, uh, you, you know, uh, weaponry is pretty pretty strong, but we've got the precision strike weaponry to take that sort of uh, stuff down. Now, uh, they are also pretty dang good at, uh, at, at fighting, uh, potentially, uh, our, uh, uh, our naval fleet, uh, in terms of, uh, the fact that they do have submarines. They've got about 41 submarines. About four of those have nuclear, uh, capabilities and, uh, uh cruise missiles. But don't, don't kid yourself, we've got countermeasures to that stuff as well. Our naval fleet is the strongest in the world. Uh, so uh, the U.S. subs, it's just worth noting, are very strong. They're so strong that the Brookings Institute estimates that in just seven days, if we wanted to, we could sink 40% of China's navy. I'll say that again. In seven days, the United States Navy could sink 40% of China's Navy. 
on cyber warfare, TBD, but the US is probably stronger. China does have nukes though. They're working on developing next generation nukes, but we've still got about 13 times as many nukes for every nuke that they have. This doesn't necessarily mean like world ending, uh, blockbusting kind of nukes. It's more than blockbusting, but, but you know, big boys. Uh, uh, it, they could be strategic, uh, uh, like localized nukes, but no, nobody really wants to go to that sort of world anyway. The, the, the point is just to know that uh, the, the U.S. spends money like crazy on its military. And, uh, and, and if you look at just their military spending, we outnumber them almost 10x. If you look at total, total spending, and by all means that you could suck together, maybe they spend as much as $250 billion a year. And they are trying to ramp this up uh, on, on their military and their investments into personnel and new equipment and technology, but they're way behind way behind old equipment. The U.S. has uh, more tanks than they do. We've got 5X the military aircrafts we do. We've got substantially more modern vessels and ships than they do. We've got more nukes than they do. We've got, uh, it, it, we've got way better missiles than they do. Again, we don't want to go into any kind of conflict with China, but let's just make it clear. I don't think the United States should be a little weenie baby and allow China to float their spy balloons over our uh, inter, uh, intercontinental ballistic missile silo uh, locations with impunity. Or like, oh, let's just ignore that because we're worried about some balloon material falling on the ground. I don't know. Me personally, as somebody who uh, does their best to be in the middle, it just pisses me off. That's, that's all. That's all I got to say. I don't know. Let's go back to CNBC for a moment. We got the jobs data coming out in about 13 minutes. Let's see here. Global sales uh, with COVID closures weighing on demand, but in the U.S., comps were up 10%, and the company reiterated its fiscal 2023 outlook. Joining us right now, first on CNBC, is Starbucks' CFO, uh, Rachel Rogeri. Good morning to you. Uh, bit of a mixed <laughs> picture. The stock is off this morning, um, I think really off the expectations of uh, the, the, the reopen trade, if you will, uh, for China and, and, it, and it not happening. But I'm curious sort of how you see the China piece of this relative to the rest of the business. So when we look at China, as you saw, we had you know, headwinds in Q1, and we expect that will continue into Q2. And that's largely driven by the fact that even though we're starting to see some signs of recovery, which is encouraging, there's still, you know, there's still a lot of headwinds in the market related to COVID. And so as a result, we expect the back half of the year to be stronger uh, than the first uh, couple quarters. And that's what we've guided. But we have a lot of confidence in what we're seeing, because when you look at our international business, excluding China, we grew 25% in the quarter, and that's largely driven by recovery. We have double-digit comps in markets like Japan, in markets like UK, and that just speaks to the strength of recovery. So we have every confidence that the headwinds we're seeing in China today will lead to tailwinds, and that's what gave us the yeah. ability to be able to reaffirm our guidance on yeah. a full-year basis, but also gives us a lot of confidence in the growth that we've uh, the, the growth that we've outlined for the years to come. Can you speak to um, just the the strength of the consumer? I mean, you look at some of the numbers in the U.S. of 10 percent. Um, a lot of it, it's not necessarily more people are coming to the stores, though that is part of it. It's actually that people are just spending more. And, and whether you think that's going to persist. Well, it's actually a combination of both. We do actually have more customers coming into our stores. We're up 10 percent versus. Prior. I like how she actually uses a Starbucks store background. Like, that's a green screen. It's suggesting that she's in a Starbucks. We all know she's not. But that's okay. This is the Zoom world we're in. Uh, worth noting that Apple right now 
is actually almost break even in the pre-market. This is incredible. Tesla's up about 1.7%. Uh, some We got jobs data coming out in about 10 minutes that is either gonna destroy everything for the day or it's, uh, it's gonna lead to a continued rally and some continued beauty. But uh, we've got about 10 minutes and 30 seconds before we get to jobs data. And therefore, I want to talk briefly about smart bombs going to Ukraine. Yes, uh, there, this is a real thing. The Financial Times just reported apparently the U.S. is set to provide smart bombs uh, to Ukraine. Now keep in mind, what we are trying to do as much as possible is uh, apparently this is the decision of uh, the American leadership uh, and NATO and, and the European allies to uh, basically provide more and more and more stuff and weapons to Ukraine to try to take down U uh, Russia and force them into a settlement. Remember, we started providing helmets uh, and, and, and initial money uh, to Ukraine. Uh, Germany, for example, it was helmets and bulletproof vests. Other parts of Europe were providing boots. That then turned into rounds of ammunition to where Germany was down to a stockpile of ammunition of just 48 hours. 48 hours. That's all they had left was 48 hours of uh, ammunition. Uh, and, uh, it, it, and now we've moved on to providing armored personnel carriers uh, and tanks, which Joe Biden suggested there was no way we were going to send tanks because that would implicate World War III to Ukraine. Now tanks are being sent to Ukraine. Now it'll take a few weeks for uh, troops to get trained on these, both strategically and technically, but it takes about five to six weeks. It'll probably take about three months for the first tanks to actually get to Ukraine. But now the Financial Times is talking about the US, the United States, is set to provide longer range smart bombs uh, to uh, Ukraine. These are small diameter bombs that would double Ukraine's current strike range as part of another nearly $2.2 billion aid package to be announced today. The smart bombs have a range of 94 miles and can be fired from several kinds of rocket launchers, including HIMARS missile defense systems. And uh, Ukraine's been asking for longer range missile defense systems. Uh, however, the United States is worried that they would use those to strike deeper into Russian targets. Uh, although these missiles already allow people uh, or uh, Ukrainians to strike deeper. However, not as deep as the Army Tactical Missile System, which is something Ukraine's been asking for, gets you about 185 miles of range. Now, one of the reasons these these smart bombs and sort of this, this spending on Ukraine is important is because there's an expectation of potentially Ukraine trying to take back Crimea. Now, that would be a massive, massive blow for Russia. In fact, there's a really good Financial Times piece on exactly this, and it briefly talks about what Ukraine needs to liberate Crimea. Uh, and in, in essence, they talk about not only is uh, Ukraine going to need tanks to liberate Crimea, but they're going to need jets. And now this is something that right now Schultz uh, is, uh, the Chancellor of Germany is sort of backpedaling on the idea of even wanting to talk about jets, suggesting, hey, let's just focus on tanks right now. But listen, everything Ukraine's been asking for so far, they've gotten. Singers, Patriot missile base, uh, uh, javelins, you want more weapons, you want more money, you want armored personnel carriers, you want tanks. They've gotten everything they've been asking for. So it's just a matter of time before they get jets. Uh, but if they do get the Gen 4 F-16 fighter jets, uh, it is potentially likely 
that Ukraine could actually launch a pretty strong offensive uh, on, on Crimea, which uh, Russia illegally annexed in 2014. Now, Russia, of course, uh, was able to pull that off without a, a prolonged battle at all uh, because of the location where uh, Crimea is being relatively strategic for Russia to not only supply materials, but uh, uh, essentially more weapons and troops to continue the fight within, actually, uh, Ukraine. I think it's worth taking a brief look at the map just to sort of understand the tactical battlefield a little bit here. Crimean Peninsula is over here. If Ukraine were to take Crimea, uh, it would really potentially block Russia off uh, of, of the Sea of Azov uh, over here, uh, if, where, where they're essentially supplying materials uh, and weapons to Crimea to launch attacks from the southern regions of Ukraine. And this would really allow Ukraine to not only seal Russia off of uh, Crimea if they were able to take this and actually have a naval chance to, to prevent uh, Russia's, uh, as much Russian activity in the Black Sea because now you're cutting off the Sea of Azov over here, so, you, so you've got to go around. Uh, but what you have is the potential to lock down Kherson prevent the attacks on Kherson, and really start moving Russia back and prevent the incursion that's happening here into the regions that are expected to potentially be negotiated away to Russia, uh, like Donetsk. So uh, Crimea would be pretty, pretty strategic. Uh, and the Financial Times, or sorry, not the Financial Times, Foreign Affairs magazine has been regularly talking about the, the strength uh, of a negotiating power that uh, Ukraine would have if they took Ukraine, if they took Crimea, even to the point of taking uh, Crimea and taking the uh, massive, massive naval uh, uh, facility that Russia has over here at Sevastopol, uh, it w would be such a huge blow to Russia that a lot of folks uh, and military experts think that Russia would actually be forced into uh, a negotiated uh, settlement if the Crimean Peninsula was actually taken over. They say here, without a land bridge or road or rail links to Crimea, the Kremlin would be forced to revert to maritime resupply. Of, uh, of their troops. Uh, that, uh, that, let me, let's make that very clear. An easy way to get tr uh, troops and supplies into Ukraine right now is right here, through Russia, through Crimea, and then into the Kherson area. But again, if, uh, if, if this is held by Ukraine, and so is Crimea, that's blocked off. Now you wanna resupply here, you're either going through the front lines, which is difficult, or you're going over the sea. But now Ukraine potentially has uh, a military and naval access uh, to the sea as well, potentially limiting exactly that sort of resupply. It's a great way to potentially choke off Russia's uh, activity. Now, uh, the expectation is Ukrainian forces would need to carry out weeks of strikes uh, onto targets, including logistic hubs, air bases, command and control center, and naval installa installations. It would take a lot of work. But... The, uh, the uh, Foreign Affairs magazine believes that it could actually be pulled off as long as uh, more tanks and ultimately jets get supplied to Ukraine. So the Foreign Affairs mag, they're big fans of continuing this sort of supplying. Now, the problem is the more, and this is where they do suggest uh, there are some risks. The problem is if Ukraine takes Crimea, there's a belief that it would take, it would be such a huge blow in, in fighting Russia that potentially Russia would be incentivized to maybe carry out its first nuclear, its strategic and tactical strikes 
against Crimea because it's a peninsula. It's 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 almost an island, you could say. Uh, it's we're technically a peninsula because it's it, it's attached over here, but it's not like a Florida peninsula. Uh, it looks like an island, uh, and and so there's a belief that. This is so strategically important to Russia that if Russia loses this, it could potentially be where uh, the, the first nuclear uh, strategic strikes are attempted. Of course, this would, uh, would, would, would lead to a lot of uh, potential talk about World War III. And this is why there are a lot of people saying, look, no, no. Just, just stop. Stop supplying weapons. Stop supplying uh, uh, Ukraine. Stop funding Ukraine. We don't, we don't want to push Russia to the edge of considering nuclear strikes. Of course, this is possibly also one of the strongest positions that Ukraine could end up having for negotiating uh, a settlement uh, uh, with uh, Russia. Uh, so we'll see who knows, but this is, uh, this is, uh, something to be paying attention to. So if you're watching the Ukraine war and uh, the takeover of the Crimean peninsula could be, uh, strategically the, the best, uh, move for Ukraine, but they're going to need a lot more support. And so far it looks like the EU, NATO, <clears throat> and the United States are willing to provide that, especially since now we're talking about smart bombs uh, being sent to Ukraine uh, by the uh, Financial Times reporting that $2.2 billion aid package expected to be announced today. All right. With that said, now we are on to jobs data, baby. Jobs data. <laughs> All right. Jobs data coming out in, uh, well, briefly here, jobs data coming out within the next uh, two minutes. Actually, it's a, we're only about a minute away from jobs data. We're looking at, again, uh, I, I just want to remind you what we're looking at. We're looking at the estimates. Estimates are 188K non-farm payrolls, 3.6% uh, unemployment rate. You've got a 0.3% month over month and 4.3% year over year expectation for the annual. Uh, I'll go ahead and put those numbers up on screen so it's handy for you. We have the jobs data coming out in about 40 seconds, which is the perfect opportunity for me to mention that today is the final expiration, the final, final expiration of the coupon code. We're changing all of the marketing this weekend. Uh, if you're looking for the cheapest way to get lifetime access to all of the live streams, today is the day to upgrade to the Elite Hustlers course. It is the most inexpensive at the moment for limited time, and it gets you all the live stream accesses. So if you're a course member, you can bundle up as well. Email us if you need a custom bundle at kevinandbkevin.com. And if you're not a member yet, it's the easiest way in to get lifetime access. It beats paying monthly. Uh, so do so before 11.59 Pacific time tonight. Uh, all of this will be changed this weekend. Here we go. Jobs data on deck. And it is uh, unemployment rate 3.4. Oh my, what the hell? 517 change in non-farm payroll, 517,000. Average hourly earnings coming in at 0.3%. It's a match on the month over month, but year over year comes in at 4.4, slightly hot. How the hell did we add 517,000 jobs? The unemployment rate went down. It was supposed to tick up 0.1%. It went down to 3.4%. What the hell is happening? This is absolute insanity. 517,000 jobs. I'm not sure if this is like a massive seasonal adjustment or if I can't trust the Bureau of Labor Statistics at all. I mean, maybe that was my first mistake is suggesting that I, there was even remotely hope that you could trust them. What the hell? 517,000 jobs? This is insane. Uh, I mean, unless there's a reason for this, like a disparity between households and the establishment survey, this is absolutely nuts. And this could 
potentially be just what we need for the market to plummet today. This is terrible news. What the hell is going on here? Total non-farm payroll rose by 517,000 jobs in January. The unemployment rate was little changed at 3.4%. Uh, jobs growth was widespread. Widespread jobs growth led by leisure and hospitality, professional and business services, healthcare, employment also increased in government, partially reflecting a return of workers from strikes. Uh, the household data was a little, was both the unemployment rate of 3.4 million, number of unemployed person at 5.7 million, li uh, little changed, little net movement. Uh, this is quite bizarre here. See the note at the end of this news release for tables about information about the annual production population adjustments to the household survey. Among major worker groups, the unemployment rate was 3.2% for adult men, women 3.1%, teenagers 10.3%, uh, okay, blah, 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 blah. In January, participation rate was 62.4%, uh, and the employment to population rate was 60, uh, not changed. These were unchanged, okay, fine. Uh, let's see here, uh, da, 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 da. number of persons employed part-time for economic reasons, sitting at 4.1 million, little changed, not in the labor force was 5.3 million, okay, little changed. Among those not in the labor force who wanted a job was 1.4 million, changed little in January. This is, this is the strongest jobs report, by the way, since July. Treasury yields are shooting up right now, the stock market's going down, you have a revision of more jobs in the prior months, uh, added 71,000 jobs in the prior two months. The year-over-year uh, uh, -year number missed. This is absolutely insane. Everything's going red right now. This was my warning yesterday. Was all it was going to take was a, a miss on the jobs report, and you were going to have a have a poopsie doopsie. This is a massive miss of 320,000. Is the miss on this payroll number? This is insane. Non-farm payroll, uh, 517,000 compared with an average monthly gain of 401,000. Leisure and hospitality added 128,000 jobs in January. The ADP report missed, by the way. Remember that. How are they counting this? Is this multi-job counting again? This is insane. Professional business services grew by uh, 82,000. Government by 74,000. Healthcare by 58,000. Growth in ambulatory healthcare services. Retail trade grew by 30,000 in January. Construction added 25,000 jobs. Transportation and warehousing added 23,000. Social assistance added 21,000. Uh, let's see, average hourly earnings. Again, we saw the 0.3% and the point and the 4.4 year over year. The 0.3 is stable, but the 0.4.4 was one tenth higher than expected. Uh, here we have the upward revisions of 34,000 and 37,000. That's not great. Uh, in accordance uh, with annual practices, what is this here? Um, the basis for industry classifications. Okay, revisions, fine. Total non-farm payroll. This is insane. Okay, let's look at the actual chart here because I, I, I don't know, something seems off here. Let's listen for a moment to CNBC. It is now, maybe it's, it's hard, hard to read right the second of the futures. Well, first of all, I got to mention how pathetic it was that I was the over, I think, and I was only half of the number. So um, I, I don't know if there's some statistical quirk in all of this. And I, yeah. I can tell you where the job growth was. One place for sure it was was in leisure and hospitality. We've seen this, an industry struggling to get back to the pre-pandemic level, up 128,000. Government jobs also up strongly, 74,000. I'm not sure about the source of that. Take me a second on the B1 table here, everybody's favorite table. It looks like 
You know, uh, state and government education, that was back big, up 34,000, big part of that. Not on the federal side, more on the local uh, and state side. Uh, you had construction jobs up 25,000, manufacturing up 19, retail up 30. If you're hearing a trend here, I can tell you what that trend is. The trend is that the job growth was, was broad-based. It was not in a single um, uh, industry or a single sector. Um, there were revisions, revisions to the upside in November, up 34,000. And Rick is right, new benchmarks on the, uh, for the year ending in March, up 568,000. So the job market was much stronger. Um, you also lost one of the linchpins of those who thought the job market was slowing because the work week ticked up to 34.7. That was everybody said, oh, the work wow. week's coming down. That's a sign of, of the weakening job market. That is gone. You know, this is, like, this is insane. But uh, look at this for a moment. This right here is the household survey, okay? Remember, the household survey is the survey that counts people who have a job. The payrolls, the establishment survey, the headline survey counts payrolls. So you can get double counted in a payroll, but you can't get double counted in, in the household data. But look at the household data. The civilian labor force increased uh, from uh, about 439,000 between November and December and 866,000 between December and January. And the number of those employed grew about 700,000 between November and December and grew about another 700,000 between December and January. So they are actually suggesting 1.4 million more jobs here in the household survey catching up to the establishment survey. This is crazy because initially there was this huge uh, disparity between the uh, payroll survey and the establishment survey and there was this huge miss between the two. Now, they're starting to catch up on the household number. Uh, this is quite strange. Tesla was positive before this data came out. It has now gone negative about a quarter of a percent. Uh, Apple's down about 1.71. Google's down about 4. You've got uh, the NASDAQ on this news dropping about 1.75%. And you got the S&P 500 down about 1%, at least in the pre-market on this news. Now, this could, in, okay, in the weird way... I, like this is this is a terrible report in terms of like actually suggesting that the labor market is softening. But we need to like put our, our Federal Reserve hat on for a moment, which basically is a tinfoil hat. So let's let's consider for a moment what this potentially means for the Federal Reserve. OK, the, in in the weirdest way, I want you to think about it's not actually that weird, but I want you to think about what did Jerome Powell say? What did Jerome Powell say? He said he was pleasantly surprised and delighted that inflation was plummeting without destroying jobs. And he actually hoped that could continue because it's a sign of a soft landing. Okay. All right. So the concern is a wage price spiral, right? Concern, wage price spiral. Well, average hourly earnings stayed at 0.3%, which is an annualized rate of 3.6% of an increase, right? So it, we didn't get a miss here. We did uh, like to the downside. It didn't come in softer than expected. Year over year did come in a tiny little bit more than expected at 4.4. We were expecting 4.3. That's fine. Uh, that's not too terribly different from uh, what we had. In fact, let me see here, 4.4. 4.4 is still a reduction from 4.6% in the last report, right? Uh, so, okay, actually, sorry, the revision to that just came in. The last report was actually 5%. 5% 5 
Holy crap. That was just revised to 5%. That literally just flashed on my screen as I said that. Uh, okay, so this is actually really interesting. Okay, this, like, initially this seems terrible. Initially this is like, oh my god, uh, where's Paul Volcker, right? But Jerome Powell told us it was actually a great thing that the risk of a wage price spiral was declining. And that is actually reiterated by this report. Year over year, wage inflation went from 5% to 4.4%. On top of that, we had the month over month hourly earnings stay stable at 3.6%. Now keep in mind, 3.6% is still higher than 2%. But when you factor in fate or flexible average inflation targeting, it's actually not potentially that terrible. Like that's okay. As long as inflation continues to come down, this could actually in a weird way be good news. Because remember what people are saying about the stock market. And no, it's not your reminder that today the coupon code expires. Link down below, February 3rd, 11.59 p.m. Last coupon code. We're getting away with coupon codes. No more coupon codes. Uh, even though I have been getting a lot of comments from you, by the way. People are like, Kevin, first of all, we want to thank you for not having those annoying sponsors on the channel. And second of all, thank you for at least getting rid of the coupon codes. <laughs> so we don't have to hear about it anymore. Uh, there'll be something else, but it'll be a lot li more limited. Uh, in the future, and, and the best price is still going to be today, guaranteed. Uh, so anyway, in a weird way, this could actually be good news. Because remember what we think about the stock market, right? What do we think about the stock market? Well, you have two phases. There are two phases of a crash. Phase one is uh, multiple compression. So multiple compression is basically what you're willing to pay for a stock coming down. So if you're willing to pay 10 times earnings, if it goes down to five times earnings, the stock goes down 50%. Multiple compression. Very simple. Okay. Phase two is EPS declines. Now EPS declines are driven by less spending because people are getting fired or laid off or whatever, right? I, I think a layoff is just a nice way of saying fired. If someone says you're laid off, don't kid yourself. You got fired. Uh, anyway, you are not valuable enough for the company. Uh, and that's depressing. And I think that's why they say layoffs, so people don't get too depressed. But that's just the way it is. Uh, anyway, so phase two is EPS declines. And yesterday, the biggest bear of all, actually, no, Michael Burry is like the biggest bear of all. And he deleted his Twitter account after he said sell and then markets rallied. This guy, MacroAlf, whom I've... Kind of, I don't want to say complained about, but I challenge. I've been challenging some of his charts. Okay, I've been challenging some of his data. I actually tweeted at him. I never got a reply. It's fine, but I transparently tweeted at him. Hey, dude, I'm trying to replicate your bear chart here, and I I'm I'm concerned y'all are trying to manipulate data. Let me just remind you of that really quick. I tweeted the following: Are the bears starting to manipulate data? My team and I were not able to replicate the bearish information presented in this chart. In other words, he's trying to say that like a, a, a debt draws for spending are plummeting, but he pulled inflation off of this chart. That's what we believe. That's the only way he was able to do this, which you can't do that. You don't take a ratio of credit impulse and take inflation off of that. You can inflation adjust both of the inputs, long story short, you can't inflation just adjust off of a ratio that's like 0.25 minus 0.25 and changing like that because you end up getting this funky chart that doesn't make sense. But we still can't replicate his chart. 
uh, because credit impulse data is not showing things as bad as his. And again, the only way we were able to replicate it was, was by pulling inflation off the way he does, which, which again, you don't do off of a ratio. Long story short, we weren't able to replicate this guy's bearish charts. Okay, so this guy is basically a bear every single day because he sells a newsletter because he has to be a bear every day. And that's okay. I'm okay with you selling insight and perspective. I actually think that's great. That's a fine thing. But I purposely hearted this so I could come back to it and find it. Just because I heart something doesn't mean I actually like it. But that's okay. And I support other perspectives. That's why I'm bringing him up. I'm not mad at Mac Ralph. I'll have a beer with them. You know, I just have, I just have questions. That's all. Okay, Kevin just has questions. And so he says, the first innings of a recession always look like a soft landing. The labor market weakens, not enough to generate job losses. Earnings decline, but not negative year over year. Inflation drops, but not yet in a recessionary manner. Not yet in a recession until it is. And he basically goes into this argument that eventually, he's got this like 13 thing thread over here where he's like, look, eventually... Uh, people are going to get laid off. The jobs market is going to turn into a complete disaster and crisis. And when it does, earnings are going to go down for companies and then you're going to have your real recession. Okay, that's a very fair, rational explanation. Totally fair. But we have to understand a few things, okay? Number one, number one bullshit guy. <laughs> number one. Number one most important thing is Jerome Powie Wowie Powie. Jerome Powie just made it very clear that he's actually happy about uh, a strong labor market as long as, as long as there's no wage price spiral. And guess what? We have things that tell us there's no wage price spiral. A, the Fed sees a lower risk of a wage price spiral. It could still pop up. And if you see it, it's too late, he says. But guess what else we see? We see that companies like Chipotle are finding it easier to hire and lowest turnover ever at Chipotle. This is great. Uh, now they are hiring like crazy, by the way, hiring like crazy. Why? Because they're being a smart business. They're looking at the recession as an opportunity to expand, an opportunity to invest and end up taking more market share in the future. It's a smart company. There's a reason their stock trades the way it does. Is there a smart business with high margins? They know how to sell. Listen, if somebody told you you would get rich and become a billionaire off selling rice and beans, you'd be like, you're smoking crack. But guess what? That's exactly what Chipotle did. They became billionaires off of selling rice and beans. <laughs> they are damn good rice and beans. <laughs> Quite wild. Uh, anyway. So uh, as long as there's no wage price spiral, right, that's important. So what did we get in terms of data? Fed sees lower risk of wage price spiral. Chipotle finds it's easier to hire. We're getting industrial layoffs uh, like 3M and Dow, okay? That's actually usually a sign of kind of a bottom, and obviously we're getting tech layoffs. Uh, on top of that, what are you getting? Well, you're getting weaker uh, than expected, uh, weaker than expected wage growth via the employment cost index. Now we did, we did get a higher, higher, uh, jolts report, which means more job openings. And guess what Jerome Powell says? Eh, it's an indicator. In other words, Jerome Powell, he's being super blunt here. He's happy that we can grow jobs and see inflation plummet because it basically means no recession. This is the most predicted recession of all time. 
And what a middle finger it would be to every economist when it doesn't happen. This is actually, in a weird way, kind of good news. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Uh, but anyway, uh, so so you've got you've got Jerome Powell. Uh, but what else do you have? Remember what you don't have if you have labor market growth. If you have labor market growth, what do you not have? Potentially those EPS declines. You actually have people who have more money who get to go out there and buy stuff again. And pretty much every earnings call that I'm reading in this earnings season is talking about how, what? The second half of the year is going to be glorious. Kind of believe it. Uh, Gary Black just tweeted, what recession? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Somebody else uh, replies, I don't know if he's a subscriber of mine or a subscriber of Gary's. I don't know. I only have like 10 subscribers on Twitter. Those are people who actually like pay to follow your super chats or whatever. I don't send any super chats. <laughs> so thank you to the 10 people who are. But anyway, so probably a subscriber of Gary's. But anyway, but this allows the Fed to be more aggressive. Not necessarily. What I just broke down tells you that this is actually very characteristic of potentially a recession that does not happen. Now, don't get me wrong. The stock market's probably going to freak out today, okay? Probably not the best thing in the short term for the stock market. But long term, this is actually pretty good. Uh, now, what's also very interesting is it buys me some more time to buy real estate. Yes, I kid you not. This strong jobs data gives me more time to buy the dip on real estate. Why? Well, it's obvious. Treasury yields just popped. Look at this. We went from being below 3.4% to being above 3.5% in a minute. An instant increase. In fact, I'd love to see the chart because it'll be really entertaining to just see that instant pop-up. If we go to, let's go to like the five-day over here, we should see the uh, the instant explosion uh, in this. Oh, I, I screwed up the chart. I mean, whatever. You get it. You get the point. Uh, it's not even charted. Stupid CNBC. CNBC, you're sucking right now. It, the chart doesn't even show the 3.5 yet. What a rip-off. I'm trying to show off something cool and they ruin it. Damn it, CNBC. Anyway, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm too angry this morning. Uh, but Zero Hedge is now tweeting that Michael Burry has officially reactivated <laughs> his Twitter account. All oh, these guys are hilarious. Uh, anyway, look, yes, short term. I, let me let me let me summarize this like we're five, okay? Short term, bad. Buy the dip opportunity though, and and I know I say that a lot, but. This is actually characteristic of a soft landing. And if you actually listen to what Jerome Powell says, this is actually potentially a good thing. Now, again, I know that sounds crazy because we've been waiting for bad data. But then when we get these terrible retail sales numbers and I'm like, yay, terrible retail sales numbers, everybody's like, Gavin, you're pushing us into a recession. Everything's so terrible. Now the numbers are coming in good. And people are like, we need a terrible economy. It's like, you always get the opposite comments anyway, no matter what you say. You always, it's just like opposite day in the comments world. Uh, so so I, I really limit my paying attention to comments. Uh, but I do pay attention to y'all 
like Nighthawk here, who's saying Jerome Powell says, F your puts. <laughs> uh, but Andrew, I think you're right on with this idea about potentially another buy the dip opportunity. I was actually a little frustrated because I've still got like 14% cash uh, that I'm wanting to deploy. And I'm like, dang it, the numbers are starting to run away. Like, give me some bad news here. But honestly, I don't think it's going to last long because I, I kind of think the market's going to look at this and go, wait a minute. No inflation, yet jobs doing well. That sounds like a good normal economy to me. Two sectors that underscore strength in hiring in the economy right now, manufacturing and construction. Gold fell below $1,900 an ounce. Gold is your recession indicator, right? See, that's the other thing. You look at recession indicators and now what's happening? Now all of a sudden you're getting a plummet in gold. Look at this. This is IAU, which is uh, not direct ownership of gold, but it's the easiest ownership of gold, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not pitching you gold, okay? I'm, I'm not I'm not shilling you gold, I promise. I'm just saying, if, if I was going to trade gold, which I've traded gold uh, many times, if I was going to trade gold, I would probably just use IAU because I can trade it. I don't have to own the gold. I don't have to take delivery of the gold. I don't have to store the gold. Uh, I don't have enough guns to, to, to store gold. Maybe I don't even have any. Who knows? Uh, anyway, so, so, uh, that's the gold's dropping on this. Let me see what else is going on in the world of Wall Street over here. Prime age, uh, participation rate is moving up. Look, more people getting jobs is actually good for the economy, right? Very good. The more people have jobs, the more people have money, and the more people have money, is more people who can buy the brilliant courses on building your wealth with content that you can't find anywhere on the internet because it's awesome. Fresh perspective on actually becoming a millionaire in those programs. And, um... Yeah, we, we need people having money so they can invest in themselves and make the smart decisions. Uh, year over year, we did have that average hourly earnings increase of 4.4%. And I understand that 4.4% year over year is slightly higher than what we were expecting, but it's worth putting that into perspective. I'm a big fan of putting things into perspective, okay? So let's go ahead and show you the chart of what that actually looks like. There you go. There's your earnings growth. Yes, it, year over year, it's still at 4.4. Annualized, it's still at a 3.6% rate. But look, it's plummeting. You know, we just we just had the last one coming at 5%, revised up to 5%. Uh, and, and so we just got our nice little plummet here. So let's, fingers crossed, that keeps going. I'm telling you, anything that's inflationary is going to be bad. Anything that suggests maybe we're not actually going into a recession should actually be good. However, this 3.4% unemployment rate is insane. This is the lowest unemployment rate we have seen since 1969. And remember, even the household survey showed a massive jump in, uh, uh, in, in, in earnings uh, or uh, uh, in job gains, by the way. So this is the strongest jobs report since July. It's the lowest unemployment rate since 1969. I don't even know that. What is that, like 50-something years ago? That's insane. So uh, look... This is an incredible report. This is a bull market report. That's what this is. This is going back to a bull market era of of the, you know, 2021 20, era almost where we were gaining like, you know, on average 500K jobs for, for probably the entire year. Uh, again, this is going to lead to some temporary pain. It's actually leading Nordstrom to go up even more from 25% to 28%, probably again, because people are going to have more money and they got to get those coupons in over at Nordstrom. Indices not happy though, because the NASDAQ's down about 2% and SPY's down about 1%. Tesla's only down about 0.8 right now. Apple's only down about 1.8 after those earnings. And remember, this is on the back of crazy gains yesterday. 
you know, both of those were up over 3% yesterday. So, so we're really just kind of back to yesterday. Now, this is kind of odd. One that is plummeting is Amazon. Now, Amazon did have a 7% day yesterday, but it's up, it's down 6% in the pre-market right now. Uh, you are also, also interestingly seeing a decline on some of those more risk-based stocks like Affirm down about 6% in the pre-market. Kind of interesting, kind of interesting. Uh, about to go watch the real estate course in a minute, says Kyler. Kyler, love you. By the way, always remember, if there's anything you need me to add, although there's a lot of content, so I actually don't get that many requests for to add stuff, hit me up in Discord, just tag me. Hey man, can we add something on this? Uh, I generally have my black screen operating every day, my black screen studio. It's at a different location than here. And uh, I'm a big fan of uh, recording on that black screen. It's great for lectures. Uh, not so great for live streams like this. Uh, anyway, that's the jobs report today for you. And wow, I mean, I'm I'm gonna take my my usual optimistic bias self and say this is great. But then again, I recognize my own biases, and so you know, I mean, I just I don't know how you can see this is bad. The uh, uh, the only way I think the Fed gets angry here is if the inflationary numbers uh, start going bad again. So I don't know. We'll see. My thoughts on jobs. Next, next topic. I think the next thing we've got to talk about is, whew, let's see here. Why don't we listen in for a moment and see what's going on with Tesla and get some updates on Tesla and a little bit of uh, insight into Kathy Wood and her price target for Tesla. I think that would be kind of fun. So let's do that here. Tesla, Tesla, Tesla. Stand by one moment. Let me get this up. <laughs> All right, one second more. All right, now we've got to cover what's the latest is with Tesla, including what Kathy Wood's price target is for Tesla. We also have to cover some information on price cuts. We got to talk about the Model Y, what just happened with the Model Y. We've also got to provide a Cybertruck update because there's a little bit of a Cybertruck update. And I have to say, I'm not very enthused about what I just saw in the Cybertruck update. Uh, and I don't like to be the bearer of bad news. I don't necessarily think I am the bearer of bad news, but I'm the bearer of realistic news, okay? So we're going to do a little bit of chatting about that. So, well, let's get started. Also, I do want to say I've downloaded the latest update of full self-driving. Tesla, uh, in the middle of last year, released that uh, we have had 35 million miles of full self-driving uh, miles already driven. I expect that number's probably already doubled by then, especially thanks to the wide release of FSD in December. And boy, oh boy, yesterday, with the latest update, even more improvements. It's taking roundabouts better. Uh, it still wants to crash at one particular on-ramp uh, that, that I have to take over every time on. So it's still not happy about one area. There's one particular on-ramp that I have to take care of from uh, downtown. Uh, not that I go downtown for any particular reason ever. Um, you know, the city hall's there. You gotta, you gotta pull permits, of course. Uh, but anyway, there's this one particular on-ramp uh, that's a little janky. But other than that, I generally have interventionless drives with this sucker. I used to have to take over in roundabouts, but I'm no longer having to take over in roundabouts. 
and it's doing better with incoming traffic in neighborhoods in turns, uh, which is good. And it's also less finicky with people walking around. So uh, I think that's uh, that's uh, very, very bullish for what we're seeing with FSD. Uh, Sawyer tweeted that a Ford is now bragging about how people have had 42 million uh, miles driven here on uh, FSG F or, or their sort of blue cruise. Keep in mind, this is highway only. This is basically adaptive cruise control. This is like, this This is not full self-driving. This is stupid. This is lame. Uh, if you do go to uh, my, my Twitter profile, I encourage you to follow me because you can see me here paintballing with my shirt off. Uh, here's me in a spa with my shirt off. Uh, if you want to see my hot dog, you can see my hot dog here as well. So just make sure you follow me at, <laughs> at Real Meet Kevin uh, on on Twitter, and, and and you get you know you get all all the quality stuff there. So uh, in terms of uh, actual news, though, we do have a little bit of news regarding uh, the Mexico facility as well. Uh, so I've been waiting for updates and a potential announcement on this. Bloomberg has provided a little bit of insight on this here. Uh, Tesla is expected to announce an investment in Mexico very soon as the country works to expand infrastructure and renewable energy supplies to take advantage of a boom in companies relocating, says the Mexican foreign minister. The Mexican government is working with Tesla, led by Elon Musk, to find a location that'll be appropriate. Uh, they've been targeting northeast Mexico. And there's a suggestion that potentially Tesla could announce very soon an up to $10 billion gigafactory in Northeast Mexico, which would be relatively close to the uh, gigafactory in Texas, except the average pay for worker would be about one-fourth uh, as, as much. Uh, by the way, that's awesome. Thank you. Sebastian just sent me that Robinhood actually updated their uh, interest rate uh, yield to 4.15%. That's incredible. 4.15% on Robinhood. Hashtag not sponsored. Only sponsors we got here are courses and coupon codes that expire tonight. Uh, symbolizing the course. Uh, okay, Mexico pledged to reduce carbon emissions. Fine. Nearshoring spot. Mexico, particularly in northern states, is a favorite destination for companies that want to relocate operations from China closer to the United States through a process known as nearshoring. However, shortages of electricity supply, in particular from the renewable resources, are one of the constraints that the country is trying to alleviate. That could actually be good for solar deployments, especially industrial-style solar deployments. Uh, there are companies that sell the steel uh, frames, uh, the motors that tilt solar panels. Obviously good for string inverter style companies when you start getting into sort of uh, the industrial uh, uh, deployments of, uh, of solar panels. So uh, this gives us a little bit of an update here. Keep in mind that Northeast Mexico has a lot of uh, vehicle manufacturers already. In fact, Mexico in general is, is uh, a very large exporter of vehicles. You've got Mercedes assembling uh, vans there, vehicles there, Sprinter vans. Uh, you've got GMs over there. A lot of vehicle companies assemble in uh, Mexico, even, even the European ones. They'll send the parts over and assemble them in Mexico. Uh, so then uh, let's go ahead and look at the cyber truck update. And then I, I'd like to uh, give you Kathy Wood's price target opinion while also giving you here an update on the Tesla Model Y. Apparently the Tesla Model Y has uh, just been delayed to potentially as far out as May for deliveries. This used to say February to March for deliveries. And now we're sitting at uh, March to May for delivery. So you've got a little bit of a delay here on the Model Y. 
I personally believe if you're going to buy a Tesla, you should buy a Model Y. I think the S and X are a ripoff, but hey, you'll give Tesla more profit if you want to be stupid and buy that. That's fine. Uh, do keep in mind, I am calling myself stupid as both a Tesla Model S and X owner. Yes, and I've never owned the Model Y. So take that for what it's worth. Do as I say, not as I do. Don't buy a plane. I just bought a plane. So, so, so any, anyway, uh, okay, <laughs> I'm going to now move on. Uh, so this is interesting, but what else is interesting is, where was it? Uh, there was, hold on a sec, we want to listen to Kathy's price target for Tesla. Ah, uh, yes, here we go. This was in a Spaces call. Apparently, our boy, not our boy, uh, but Grant Cardone uh, hosted this Spaces call. Let's go ahead and listen to this. Uh, I found it interesting what Kathy has to say, so let's give it a listen here. Decision. So I asked people before you came into the room, I said, look, if, if you were given, if you won a million dollar lottery and part of the stipulation on the winning was you have five hours, you have to pick one stock and you have to keep that one stock for 10 years. Otherwise, we're not going to give you the million dollars. What stock would you invest in? Well, especially because of how much it's been pummeled recently. Um, uh, and we're known for this. I don't think it'll surprise if if any of your uh, listeners have heard of Arc. They've they've heard of Tesla, and um, I think Tesla. So to give you a sense of that, I think Tesla hit one hundred and eighty dollars today. We have put out on our website uh, our Tesla model, and uh, you can manipulate it if you'd like to see how we get to these numbers. But that one hundred and eighty dollars, we believe will in five years now uh, uh, this is our research and of course we could be wrong for compliance reasons i have to say that but right our conviction is very high that that 180 dollars if you do hold it don't trade it um will uh will scale to 1500 dollars in our base case it's actually a little north of that now so almost 10 $1,500, almost 10X. When? Soon. Listen in. Fold in five years. Why? Five years, baby. Five years. Now, a little aggressive, but then again, maybe I'm aggressive too because I've got around a $500 price target in 2025, at the end of 2025, and that's in a mere three years. But look, if you can get to 500 bucks in three years and then 3X again two thereafter... Mama Kathy, I like the estimate, but could it potentially be unrealistic? It, it's going to really require a lot of FSD revenue, and I think it's a stretch to get to that level, especially since I think a lot of FSD revenue is going to turn into monthly payments rather than upfront revenues. I think there's a good chance that those margins keep coming down at Tesla so that they can sell those vehicles uh, and, and really incentivize people to get into FSD and make the margin there. Now, Kathy provides insights into this as well. I previously have mentioned that Tesla could potentially create a small two-door tiny battery pack vehicle with a 20 kilowatt hour battery pack and 80 mile range, kind of like your daily commuter kind of vehicle, and sell it for potentially $20,000 at zero cost or maybe a slight profit. Uh, or, or zero gross profit, I should say, uh, and, and make money just off FSD. And they would still have somewhere around 30 plus percent margins. It'd be incredible. The margins are phenomenal at Tesla. But listen to what Kathy has to say uh, about uh, about the numbers. But yes, her price target is 1500 in five 
years. Let's keep listening. Why? Because, uh, because electric vehicles have entered the sweet spot of their S-curve and Tesla is leading the charge, so to speak. And, uh, and, and just oh, that was with- good. I just got the pun. Sorry. <laughs> so just to, just to get to that $500 at price target, I mean, to get to the electric vehicle part of the story, that's 500 of the 1500 In order to get that other 1000 uh, you have to believe, as we do increasingly, that we are going to be, um, that Tesla is going to be in the lead, in, in the pole position uh, to, to become the uh, autonomous taxi platform, at least in the United States. There are not going to be many winners here. Um, yeah. And, and, and so, I, don't hear you, I don't hear you really talking about the electric aspect. I hear you talking about the autonomous are you saying that the other, the Chevys and the Mercedes and the Audis that are coming on with electric, that Tesla's advantage is going to be the the, the automation, or am I, I getting think, that wrong? I think it's both. I, I think they're, they're electric vehicles. If you want, uh, for a given price, if you if you want the same performance as uh, Tesla in terms of range same range and same performance, uh, another car company is probably going to have to lose money if, if, if they price their cars at Tesla's prices. And as, as you've probably heard recently. She is right. Remember that. GM's actually got good margins uh, overall. Ford loses money on electric vehicles. I'd like to get segment revenue from GM. Uh, and on top of that, you have uh, companies like BYD in China who were very competitive, making just a buck forty on margin, where Tesla's making thirteen to seventeen bucks uh, on net margin. Net, it's insane. Uh, it's just so Kathy's right. A lot of companies are probably going to get pushed into losses uh, if they uh, try to compete with Tesla. Do keep in mind that GM and Ford are saying that their vehicles are priced appropriately and they don't need to cut prices. Meanwhile, Ford just cut prices on the Mach E. And on top of that, they're offering discounts like crazy, both at GM and Ford, and they expect those discounts to increase. So don't get confused by the MSRP bullcrap that car companies pull off. Tesla is starting to use that learning curve and is starting to drive down prices again. It's going to be very uh -huh. difficult for other companies to keep up. Uh, so we do think they've got a very strong position on the electric vehicle side. But the the autonomous uh, the autonomous uh, platform it will be more of a software as a service like model compared to uh, an automotive model for the electric vehicle. So automotive uh, gross margins are in the twenty five to thirty percent range. Uh, the autonomous gross margins are going to could be as high as eighty percent. Uh, so it's a much much more Decision. Yeah. Wow. So let's actually look at her document on this. So uh, Monte Carlo simulation, by the way, is basically just taking inputs and then trying to figure out, okay, if we assume, you know, 40,000 different scenarios, what are sort of the average outcomes? Uh, but it, it, it like the Monte Carlo simulation is only as good as your actual inputs. So it doesn't matter. Don't get distracted by that. We got to look at the inputs. The inputs are what matter. So what are the inputs? Okay, well, in Kathy's 2025 bear case, she's at 5 million vehicles sold. I'm at four. 
Uh, average selling price of 40, uh, 45. I'm at 47, so that's pretty close. Uh, however, she does include a little bit of incremental, uh, uh, $23 billion of incremental insurance revenue. She includes $42 billion by 2025 of human-driven ride-hailing revenue. Zero autonomous. I, I mean, Tesla has not indicated any interest in getting into human-driven ride-hailing. So I'm a little confused by that, but whatever. Electric vehicle gross margin. I don't know how you can get to this number as your example bear case, but it ain't going to be 40%. I, I don't think so. I mean, maybe, but this is insane. Like those are some really high numbers here. Uh, and, and so basically she gets to the idea, okay, that 1500 bucks is reasonable. Okay. Their 2020 uh, uh, number, uh, well, well, that's probably, that's, I mean, it does, there's no point to even look at 2020. I mean, we're looking at 500,000 vehicles. Old. Her bull case scenario actually doubles the amount of vehicles, but drops the price to 36,000. This assumes the introduction of a lower revenue vehicle. But then in order to get these crazy price targets, uh, we're assuming massive autonomous ride hailing revenue by 2025 of $327 billion which is almost as much money as the company would make selling 10 million vehicles at $36,000 a vehicle. The, these numbers, while they feel good, I think this is crazy. Now, don't get me wrong. I respect Kathy. She's been called crazy many times. And she was right about her initial projections about Tesla's growth, uh, at least her, her initial assumptions that it was, that it was a great investment. But then again, a lot of people made a great investment into Tesla. Uh, and any time before the pandemic or even when the pandemic started, including myself. Uh, but, but I think some of the numbers that are going into this projection are lofty, uh, assuming human driven ride hailing in excess of, uh, 20% of the total revenues for the company. I don't think so. Assuming a 40% gross margin. I don't think so. So I'm going to cut all of that in half and then take another $200 off. And I'm sticking with $500 by 2025 because I'm just going to assume half her bear case and then take another $200 off. <laughs> uh, and, and I still get to 500 bucks. So, all right, that gives you a Tesla, a little Tesla update, Kathy POV. Love my Tesla, by the way. It's, uh, it is getting better every, every single day I drive it, which is uh, quite remarkable. It's good news. Anyway, let's get to CNBC here for a moment. I am picking up some questions, at least, about that. So even if they're better in AI, their costs may be higher. Curious to get your thoughts on the quarter and sort of on, on, on that side of things in particular. I didn't like it. It was revealed as an advertising company. I thought when they talked about AI, it was kind of like, but how about the play, Mrs. Lincoln? I'm talking about the numbers. I really didn't like anything that I saw here other than they may use AI to help advertisers. Yes, Assistant Attorney General, General Cater, help advertisers. I mean, I just thought this call was a total dodge. And the other bets, I'm tired of the other bets. If I want to make another bet, I'll put it on the Chiefs. I mean, it's amazing. It's a broken model. It was a ball confusing quarter. And I really am worried about the Justice Department. And I just think that this was the true disappointment of the evening. True disappointment. Wow. Advertising wow. model. I, don't I think he's sad or disappointed. I, I, I don't know. I can't tell. Uh, anyway, uh, pre-market here, getting some red. SPY down 1.3, Intel down 1.79, NASDAQ down 2. 
Autodesk down two, Qualcomm two six, Apple one four, Tesla one nine, Ford down eight, Amazon down 5.7. So some pain, uh, Trade Desk even down 4%, uh, but that's after a 9% day yesterday, which is insane. Etsy's down about 3%. I'm surprised that some of the job-related uh, uh, ones, the spend-related ones, are actually falling because uh, the unemployment report should, should be boosting the spend uh, sector. But, uh, boy, this uh, is quite, quite interesting to me. So, uh, yeah, this gives us uh, some, some market reaction insight here. We are looking at... Let's see the five-year break-even here. How are we doing? Five-year break-even ticked up a little bit thanks to this, sitting at 2.36. Goldman Financial Conditions Index. Let's see what financial conditions are doing. They should be tightening given that we just had the 10-year jump. So I'm going to assume that they're tightening while I try to pull this up. But uh, let's also take a look at the yield inversion. Let's go to the 10-year, three-month yield curve, three-month, 10-year. Yeah, that's typically the Fed's preferred yield curve measure. Goldman Financial Conditions Index actually still softening a bit. Maybe that'll update when market opens in about 15 minutes. We'll be in the course member live stream then. We're getting a slight steepening of the yield curve, but nothing, nothing super impressive, still heavily inverted, uh, just not as bad as we saw at the beginning of January for the three-month 10-year. And uh, ultimately, you have this payroll surprise that I think everybody's going to digest as the market opens. I can't help myself again, but reiterate that I think it's wild uh, that it would solely be seen as bad news. It would only be seen as bad news, in my opinion, if the Federal Reserve uh, sees any indication of uh, the introduction of a wage price spiral or potentially uh, a, um, a, you know, a break up in inflation, which I do think there are going to be ups and downs. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be uh, a straight decline in inflation. So uh, I think it's worth paying attention to. Uh, yeah, this, oh, I love this. Uh, the, the, <laughs> so somebody took the, uh, this looks like it's the Bloomberg terminal. Somebody took this chart on Twitter and they took all the economist estimates for where in the jobs report was going to come in. This is the bell curve right here. So we were sitting at around 188 was the expectation. And when you look at the bell curve, uh, you can determine by how many standard deviations you were off. And we were off from estimate uh, from actual estimates by eight standard deviations. That's an eight sigma beat. That is a more rare jobs report than Vlad at Robinhood telling you a five sigma crisis has occurred thanks to GameStop. And that is exactly what we're going to leave it on. So check out that coupon code link down below. Expires tonight. 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. Love to see you there. Email us at kevinandmekevin.com if you've got any questions. Lifetime access, best price guaranteed. Folks, see you in the next one. Thanks for being here. Go into the course member live stream in a few minutes. Thanks. Bye.